Hello and welcome to the Damn Fine Life podcast with Rinku Madan. I'm Gaurav Kapoor and I am here to introduce this show which is a unique and exclusive take on luxury hospitality from across the globe. Now I am fascinated by luxury hospitality just as much as you are, which is why I'm super excited about this show because it's not just about the business of hospitality, but it's also about stories, journeys, histories, insights, a peek behind the curtain, if you may. from the world of luxury hospitality so let's dive straight in powered by sonever resorts and residences marquesi di barolo wines and the lila palaces hotels and resorts brought to you by dan hotels israel shale hotels limited hotel kempinski indonesia fratelli wines and taf reverse your fat in partnership with our season partners postcard hotels a collection of intimate and bespoke luxury hotels hidden in holiday destinations across india and the world the postcard hotels combine luxury with simplicity helping you retreat to a life that is luxurious simple unhurried and filled with rich discoveries easy diner the one stop platform for the most enjoyable authentic and friction free table booking experience instant confirmations and amazing deals on food and beverage in over 150 cities in india and now in dubai too jet hq the world's most trusted aircraft sales with deep industry knowledge real time data and market analysis by dedicated professionals an aircraft brokerage company with headquarters in the united states jet hq's experience and international expertise allow them to serve you 24/7 across the globe in almost every time zone a one stop solution for sale and purchase of pre-owned aircrafts Welcoming today a man with over 30 years in hospitality. He is a global hospitality management leader, an executive coach, a leadership mentor, and most recently turned an author with his book Believe. He was formerly Vice President Southwest Asia for IHG amongst many other pivotal roles that he has played out in his entire career. Hello Mr. Shanta De Silva, welcome to my show. Hi. Hi Rinku, it's really a pleasure to be on your show. I've been a fan of yours for many years from my time in India and it's really a pleasure to be part of this podcast with you. I'm humbled by you saying that that means a lot. So sir first of all congratulations your book is out and uh, thank you for sending me a copy it looks beautiful. I wish there was a visual here which I could show everybody that the what a fantastic cover it is very attractive. So tell us about the book what is believe about. So this is a passion I had since I was a child. My father was a author. and i grew up surrounded by books and i always wanted to write a book i didn't know when i didn't know how and i didn't know what so as time went on it dawned on me that it should be probably about leadership or it should be about my career but i didn't want to write something just about myself i wanted to write something that helps others so when i was trying to explore options it dawned on me that doing something that helping other leaders help themselves to develop would be a good starting point and i managed to come up with a model based on the word believe where every 
letter stands for a step a leader can take to help develop themselves. So the idea was that I share my own experiences of how each of those steps worked for me, but also share stories, inspiring stories, examples of uh, the business world, so that leaders can then use those to help uh, make their careers and their leadership journeys better. Excellent. So how did the idea about this book come about? So actually, like I said, I wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what to write, what I wanted to write about. And then I was sat at a workshop and the person who was conducting the workshop was talking about how she started her writing career. And then then and there, a light bulb went up, up in my head. And this idea of building a model came to me. And I just wrote down believe because that, that's something I always worked with. That word made a lot to me. And that word has had a lot of impact on my career. And then I started breaking down how each of those letters could stand for one step of the journey. And then it all came together where I could interrelate each steps to the leadership development and also to the word believe. Why don't you share some of that with, you know, I'm sure there will be a lot of budding, uh, aspiring authors listening to this podcast. Would you like to share some tips which made you become an author, what you learned from that workshop which you attended? Actually, writing was a passion for me and it was also more a dream, something I wanted to do. And getting started is the most difficult part. So what I did was I enrolled for a 30-day writing challenge where you're supposed to write your book in 30 days. Now, I didn't set myself a target to write the book in 30 days. I set my target to write a certain outline in 30 days. And an interesting part of this challenge was you had to set a consequence if you don't achieve your goal so that you're pushed to achieve it. And the consequence I set for myself was that if I don't achieve my goal of writing outline in 30 days, I will go without using the internet for three days. And that pushed me to really sit down and start writing. And once you get into the groove, then it kind of flows. There are good days and bad days. But the secret to writing a book is that, one, you need to have an idea uh, to start with. Two, you need to have an objective of what purpose that book will serve, because there has to be a reason for somebody to read the book. And three, when you're writing a book, you should just write. Don't think about spelling, grammar, anything else. Just let your thoughts flow. Later on, you can do the editing. So at first, it's just a free flow of thoughts and ideas. Whether it connects or not doesn't matter. Uh, eventually, it can get edited. But the idea is to get all your thoughts down on paper. So what global brands have you been associated with? So my career was spent with IAG, uh, all my career. Actually, I'm one of those few people around today. I suppose I started my career with IAG and ended my career with IAG. Starting from my first job to the last job in the hospitality industry was with one company. But... I had so many different jobs and so many different roles from starting from a Holiday Inn Express to Holiday Inn, Crown Plaza, Hotel Indigo, Intercontinental, Kimpton as well. So there was a lot of brands that we, Staybridge Suites, there was a lot of brands that we were able to work with. And I had the pleasure of introducing some of those brands to those cities. For example, I was part of the team that started uh, on the pre-opening of the Kimpton in Bali, the Kimpton in uh, Bangkok. I was involved in supporting the team in bringing the Intercontinental to life in uh, Phuket and in the Maldives. And so I've been lucky enough to work with some great brands uh, that has helped me grow my learning and understanding of those brands as well. I've only been with IAG till I took my early retirement. Okay. And why was that? Why did you never consider being with any other brand? I enjoyed what I was doing with IAG. And I think 
the advantage for me was though I was with IG for so long, I had so many different opportunities. So it was almost like changing jobs every two, three years, but within the same company. And also for me, I think IG gave me that opportunity to grow and develop myself. And I was given a lot of stretch assignments that even I myself thought whether I'm capable of doing. And that helped me grow. And I think the opportunities I had with the company to work in different locations, to work in different jobs. I was not only doing operations, I was also doing corporate office functions. So that breadth of responsibilities and the diversity of locations and roles, really, I didn't have a need to look for any other jobs because I was happy what I was doing. And I felt I belonged in the company. And I had great colleagues to work with. Yeah, I'm sure. But uh, tell me something. Uh, you worked with all the brands of IHG. So which is the one that you enjoyed most being with? Yeah, I know. There's two brands that I like for different reasons. Uh, one is Intercontinental. I started my career with Intercontinental. And for the first probably 20 years of my career, I worked only for Intercontinental. Wow. So it has a special place in my heart because I like the offerings of Intercontinental. I like the focus on guests. And I, I like how the brand is a global brand where guests have the same service delivery or service guarantee globally wherever they travel. And it's, it's a u- unique brand. It was founded by Pan, America, Pan American Airways, I think about 70, 80 years ago. So it was a, it was a pioneering brand. Intercontinental many, in many ways was the first five-star hotel to enter many of the Asian cities. In fact, even in India, I think we had an intercontinental partnership probably 60 years ago. More importantly, it had a really strong people development culture. And it wasn't unusual to find a lot of the GMs and senior people in the hotel industry had had that time at the intercontinental. That's one. The other brand I really enjoyed working with was Holiday Inn. Uh, because I had the opportunity to lead the holiday team in Singapore. And we really had a great time repositioning that hotel because Holiday went through a refresh program. And to launch it as a very, very successful brand on Orchard Road was really exciting. So what was the change that you brought about? I mean, what was it before and what was the change that came about? So Holiday Inn is essentially a family-focused hotel, right? So the founder of Holiday Inn, Kemens Wilson, he started Holiday Inns because he, when he went on road trips, he was not happy paying extra for having kids, his kids in the room, and he wanted a swimming pool for them. So that that's how Holiday Inn started. So it's a very family-friendly, uh, less formal hotel. And we changed the brand identity of Holiday Inn because the Holiday Inn brand globally changed. And we introduced certain service hallmarks where Holiday Inn will be known for like kids stay and uh, the kids stay and eat for free uh, was a hallmark globally. We refreshed that. But also the product offerings. We refreshed the product offerings from the lobby to the rooms that helped reposition the brand. So it was really good to give that brand a new life. It's an iconic brand. It's one of the most or if not the most recognized hotel brand in the world. Yes, of course. You were heading Southeast Asia as vice president for um, for for IHG, right? Head of operations for so yeah for part of Southeast Asia. Yes. So, are you associated with hospitality still in any way, or have you become an author completely? No, I couldn't run away from hospitality. Uh, it called me back because although I was doing leadership coaching and mentoring, which is my passion, and I still do that, 
I was doing hospitality consulting. So I was consulting with uh, Ritz-Carlton, JW Marriott projects. But then I started doing some other hospitality work in uh, Australia with a company called Pro Invest Hospitality, which is the largest franchise of IAG brands in Australia. So I started doing some consulting with them and enjoyed it so much, ended up taking on a much more permanent role there. And now I'm uh, leading the team and introducing Australia's first Kimpton Hotel. First time the Kimpton brand comes to Australia, which is a lifestyle brand of IAG. Okay. I'm really excited to bring that brand to Australia. Okay, that's nice. So what is Kimpton? Tell us something about Kimpton. Is it a boutique property? Is it like more luxurious than the intercontinental? What is Kimpton all about? Kimpton, in very simple words, is luxury without the fast. Okay. So it's offering the guests a luxury experience, but without the formality of it. So Kimpton is known for providing ridiculously personal services to guests, but also the whole approach to guest service is informal. Uh, we don't have, uh, a, like, for example, the staff can be very casual with the guests, uh, very informal, but we still provide that level of personalization and luxury with Kimpton. One thing Kimpton stands out for is, Kimpton is known as Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants. So Kimpton prides itself in having locally loved restaurants in their hotels. So the importance of restaurants and bars in Kimpton is that most Kimptons are almost run as two businesses. One is the rooms, one is restaurant and bars. So they have equal importance. So one key element of the Kimpton offering is offering unique food and beverage experiences that the locals would cherish. So for example, in Australia, we've partnered with well-renowned Australian uh, restauranter and celebrity chef Luke Mangan, who will be bringing the restaurant and bar offering in the Kimpton to life. So we are really excited to have him on board, creating a new experience for our Kimpton guests. Excellent. I mean, that really sounds very interesting. So where in Southeast Asia do we have Kimptons? So you have in Bangkok, mm-hmm. uh, in Bali. Bali will open this year. Koh Samui will open this year. Uh, Tokyo opened already. Bangkok has opened already. And we've signed, there's a Kimpton signed also in Kuala Lumpur. I also, uh, in my research, uh, got to know that you are very, very passionate about the differently abled. So how did this start? What is this about? Yeah, actually, that's when I look back only, I realized how it started. Because as a kid, I grew up in a home where there was a boys hostel next to our house. And during the summer break, when the boys went home, they used to host a camp for the physically disabled, physically and mentally disabled uh, kids. So every April, I think, they had about 100 kids come there and they were given three days of fun and entertainment. So I used to go across and help out. I also had a cousin who was uh, totally disabled. So those were the early exposure I had to the those differently abled. And it was probably parked at the back of my mind. And then it came to life when I started my career. I still remember when I was general manager, the housekeeper came to me very shyly and said, you know, we have an intellectually disabled employee in our department. I hope you don't mind. And to me, it was a golden opportunity. I said, why would I mind? We should do more like that. And that took on a real new meaning where we partnered with schools to educate those differently abled uh, and we create, developed actually a housekeeping training program because they learn differently, they understand differently. And we help uh, improve 
their skills so that they can find employment. And ultimately, that hotel, which is a holiday inn in Singapore, I think went on to employ about 25-30% of their workforce from people with different abilities. This is something of a first that I've heard of any hotel person doing. So kudos to you for for doing that. Like I mentioned before, you have over 30 years of experience in hospitality. In, in the hospitality industry. So tell us some stories of, you know, from your journeys, from your um, places that you have worked at, some interesting stories for all of us to to know. Yeah, so uh, I was actually, I can share a small funny story. When I was general manager of a hotel, a couple of days in a row, there was a log entry in the duty manager's logbook that there was a strange noise coming from one of the rooms. And nobody knew how the room wasn't occupied. Actually, the guest was complaining that there was a noise coming, but we couldn't figure out where the noise was from. And the general whisperings around the hotel was that it was a ghost. And then we were trying to figure out what the noise was. And then after investigating a little bit more, I realized that my apartment was on the level higher and my son's room was right on top of this guest room. And the noise was him playing his guitar in the middle of the night. And it wasn't a ghost at all. So it was quite funny to discover that. Uh, but on a, some, I always enjoyed taking challenges. And I always enjoyed trying to strive for more. So in one of the roles I did as uh, general manager, we had this system of measuring hotel performance on 10 metrics. So if we achieve all 10 metrics like a balanced scorecard, it's like a fantastic achievement. And out of 150 hotels or 200 hotels, probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten hotels achieved it. So this hotel at the middle of the year was achieving about six of the metrics. So I took over this hotel middle of the year and we started putting together a plan of how we can achieve all ten. So we managed to convince ourselves that we'll achieve nine, but the tenth one was very elusive and we were struggling hard to achieve it. And that was actually food and beverage revenue. Because we've had some issues of uh, previously where we had to close down a restaurant for a couple of months, it was almost impossible to achieve that uh, goal or that revenue target. But then, uh, this was in Singapore where every August there's this mooncake festival where people make and sell mooncakes and people buy a lot of mooncakes. You must be familiar with mooncakes to celebrate with friends. So we used to sell a, make a lot of revenue from that. So I challenged the team, if we were going to make about 30-40% more revenue in this mooncake sales, we would make that goal. And everybody thought I was out of my mind because it was impossible to do that. Normally, you grow your revenue by 5-10% every year if you're lucky. And it's a very competitive market as well. So I thought when I initially put this to them saying we should grow our revenues by 30 or 40%, they probably thought I was out of my mind. But without my knowledge, they actually took it seriously and they started working on a plan. And it so happened that in the two months, we generated 50% more revenue than we've done the previous year. And it was the highest revenue we ever made from Mooncake sales. And we were probably the second or third highest uh, revenue generator in Mooncake in Singapore as well. So that helped the hotel go on and achieve that uh, uh, elusive all 10 metrics. But the moral of the story is that sometimes you need to challenge yourself uh, to sometimes seemingly impossible tasks. And you'll be surprised. So I always believed in what you call bags, which is B-H-A-G, big, hairy, audacious goals. I think the more ambitious you are with your goals, of course, within reason, it might help you get to your goals. Because if you go to for a mid, if you want to achieve a goal of 80 and you set yourself a target of 80, 
if you get to 75, you might be happy. But if you set yourself a goal of a hundred, the likelihood of you achieving 80 and surpassing that and being even happier is much better. Coming back to your book, Believe, and also supplementing what you just said, your book talks about believing in yourself to achieve what you want. So has there ever been any incident which ever, you know, which made you achieve something that you believed in? Many, I think. A lot of the dreams, the goals, the vision I had in my life uh, has turned out to be quite uh, successful. I'm not saying that everything I did was successful. There were failures I would have faced as well. But for example, the very fact that I wrote that book was the belief I had that I can write that book and I will succeed in writing that book. Also on the book, uh, you may have heard of Marshall Goldsmith. He's the known as the number one leadership thinker in the world. He's a business coach. Uh, he coaches some of the greatest CEOs globally. And he's a well-known author as well. And I happened to be on some of the webinars with him. And I actually reached out to him. And I said, can you review my book? And he actually said, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to review it. I can't, do a, I can't do a forward because I won't have the time, but I'm happy to read it and give you a recommendation. And I believed it was possible and I reached out to him and he did. And if you look at the back cover of my book, his recommendation is there. And that's a great example of belief of where we went. But also I want to give another great example of what we achieved as a team. And that was based on my time in India. At that time, we were at a, as a region were trading around out of those 10 metrics, I said we were trading around four or five out of 10. And I had a great, we had a really great team in India who were really passionate about what they do. And we wanted to get that pride back in India. And we set ourselves an ambition. So our ambition was to make IAG number one for India and India number one for IAG. And I think sometimes elevating your vision or your ambition to something over and above the normal, helps lift people's energy and aspirations. It's the same thing when President Kennedy went to NASA. He saw he, there was somebody cleaning the toilet. So he asked him what his job was. And he didn't say his job was to clean the toilet. He said, my job is to put a, help put a man on the moon. Similarly, I think if you focus over and above your daily task of whether you're serving a meal, whether you're cleaning a room or checking in the guest, Focusing on the larger good or the purpose of what you're delivering. You're delivering a guest experience. You're delivering a guest satisfaction. You're fulfilling a guest need. That will help you focus on the larger good rather than the small task. And that's exactly what we did with the team in India. And we said, we want to make IAG number one for India and India number one for IAG. And believe it or not, the next two years in a row, we achieved all 10 metrics out of 10 as a region. And we went from following other regions to leading other regions. And even the third year, we made, I think, nine out of 10. That was the year we had the liquor ban. So obviously, our food and beverage revenue was a bit challenged. But the fact was that from learning from others, we went to sharing with the others. And we became a region that exported best practices to other regions in IIG. And that was all because we believed we could do it. We had a larger objective, a vision, a dream, an ambition to work towards. And most importantly, we had a fantastic team. So so basically, one has to take a leap of faith, right? You have to believe in yourself and take a leap of faith. Yeah, so there's two things I would recommend. And that, that's the beginning and the end of belief, right? The end of belief is impossible is nothing, right? You need to dream, you need to envision, and you need to set yourself goals that 
you can be motivated to achieve. So on one end, you have that envisioning the possibilities. On the other side, it starts with facing reality because you can envision the grandest vision for yourself. But if you don't face the current reality, you can't work towards getting to that vision. It's like building a house on sand, right? If you don't have the proper foundation, your house won't be solid. Absolutely. Very well said and very motivating. So in these 30 odd years, how have you seen hospitality change? What was hospitality 30 years back and what what is different today? I think from a hospitality perspective, what has changed a lot is personalization versus automation. When I started in hospitality, it was all personal, hardly any automation. It was reservation emails. Now we did have emails, letters of even faxes got introduced later or telexes, but it was more phone calls. So I think a lot of automation has come into the industry, which is good and bad, right? On the one hand, it makes processes efficient. It gives a better choice to our guests, but also it takes away a little bit of the personalization. But at the end of the day, in heart of hearts, hospitality is about people. Hospitality is about experiences and that has not changed. How we deliver that has changed. How hospitality has branched out to offer different brands different experiences, different offerings for different segments of the market, that has changed. But at the core of it is providing that guest guest experience and we can't go away from it, that we still have to provide that guest experience. So what is that one thing that you would like to tell people, you know, in our luxury hospitality industry? I think it's never to go away from your core values or your core principles. There has to be a focus of what you want to deliver. And more importantly, there has to be a focus on why you want to deliver it. It's not only about providing luxury hospitality, it's outcome. You need to understand why you want to do it, whether your heart and soul is in it. If you really know why you do something, I think that will motivate you to do what you do even better. Because again, like I mentioned before, it's about fulfilling a larger purpose. Very well said. And now we are going to do a little rapid fire round with you. Some sweet and short questions. So now that you're an author yourself, but who has been your favorite author? One of the authors I always refer back to is Jim Collins. He wrote the book Good to Great. And I've used that book a lot in my career to help me develop myself and my team. But if you ask about a book, my most favorite book in the world is the Bible. Oh, really? That's That's what I built my life on. And I still do. So tell us, which is your favorite place in the world, the whole world? Home would be the favorite place, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not what you're looking for. But from a travel perspective, I suppose I have a couple of places that I really like, but I also tends to be around resorts. So Bali, Maldives and Tahiti are high on my list of places that are really unique, especially Maldives and Tahiti because it's islands. And especially in Maldives, it's one isolated island. So the feeling and the experience you get there, living uh, living in that one island for a couple of days is amazing. So describe yourself in three words. Mm, that's a tough one. I suppose I'd like to be, I'd like to inspire others. So my three words, actually, I have a vision. My vision is make a difference, my personal vision. So so the three words actually would be making a, making a difference. And making that difference to my family, to the community, and to the people I work with and inspire them. Okay. And um, three things on your bucket list? Three things on my bucket list is uh, currently, what is on top of my bucket list is a trip to India. Because since I left India, I haven't been back. And I really look forward to that. Two is I want to spend 
some quality time back home in Sri Lanka because it's always being so I'd like to go for a long trip and travel around the island. I haven't been to certain parts of Sri Lanka yet. And we had actually planned a trip uh, just before COVID to explore the north and areas like that. So that would be my, be my second. And the third is to travel to South America, which I haven't been to. And those are all on my bucket list, bucket list item to do from a travel perspective. Okay. Um, so one person who has inspired you the most? If I really look back in my life, it's the life and times of Jesus Christ. Right? That's the inspiration I have for everything I do and say in my life. And that's what I look towards inspiration for the way I work, the way I live and what I do. Tell us your best food memory. Unbelievable Wagyu steak in Tokyo in a Japanese restaurant. Excellent. And where do you see yourself five years from now? Happily retired, enjoying life, helping people help themselves by coaching and mentoring them. Excellent. Excellent. So, Mr. De Silva, it was such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, really, after so many years, it didn't feel like there's been a time gap. So, thank you for taking out the time and for joining me on my show. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Really enjoyed being on the show. And I was really pleased to be reconnected with you after all these years.